when we made the visits, we found that the body was something missing everywhere. What happened with the body when we learned? What happened with the body when we feel? What, what happened with the body when we share with each other? This is High Tech High Unboxed. I'm Alec Patton, and you just heard the voice of Stefania Rodriguez-Campo. Stefania is Director of Learning at Cosmo Schools, a group of schools run by CONFAMA, a nonprofit based in Medellin, Colombia. I interviewed Stefania and her colleague, Juliana Cairuz Correa, who's the Operational Officer at Cosmo Schools. And the reason I was so excited to talk to them was that my colleague, Nuvia Ruland, was so excited about what they were doing. Nuvia is Director of Professional Learning at the High Tech High Graduate School of Education. Before that, she was a biology teacher at High Tech High Chula Vista, where I else used to work. We actually got our teaching credentials at the same time. Here's what grabbed Nuvia's attention about these schools. I think what I'm really excited about Cosmo Schools and the and the program that they're building, the network of schools that they're building, is that it is based off of these social needs and also basic needs that all humans should have access to. And so when they looked at education even closer, they really looked at the neuroscience of like what is needed in the classrooms, um, what is needed in nutrition, uh, what is needed outside of the classroom, what kind of landscape do young people need to have in order to have their brain primed for learning, and also what kind of relationships with adults. And so this has been the first time that I've seen a school that has such a strong neuroscience background in their foundation, in their starting of a school. And before we get into this interview, is there anything else that you want listeners to know about CONFAMA and Cosmo Schools? Yeah, I think that when we are looking for new models of what is happening in the world, in education, in other social programs, I think that um, we often forget to think about Latin America and what is happening in Latin America. And so when I went to Colombia, um, I learned so much about, you know, just how this group of unions really wanted to serve the people not only in the workplace, but outside of the workplace. And I had never heard that perspective of how do you take care of the worker beyond the work site. And so that really piques my interest. And then to see and be around Medellin and see all these buildings of Confama and all, all the schools, theaters, um, uh, art spaces. Um, they had billboards about like being able to get access to uh, feminine products. You know, it just it just felt very different than anything I've seen in Mexico or in Chile or in Peru. Um, and so that that really struck me. And so to think that there is an organization like Confama backing and supporting the foundation of these schools that are going to be K through 11 excites me about the future of their education landscape. With that, here's the interview. After my first question, you'll hear Juliana's voice first, and then Stefania's. The story of Cosmo School, where does that story start? It's a long story, I would say, because uh, the school started before they started. 
They started like seven years ago when a group of intellectuals and entrepreneurs from the educational sector in Medellin, Colombia, started to see uh, these huge gaps between public and private education and how it reproduces uh, social inequality, mm -hmm. like how the socioeconomic factors determines your future. And they say, okay, we need to do something about this and give all people, regardless of their opportunities, high-quality education. So they started to visit countries, studied pedagogical models, and then they construct our model. Yeah, we visit around 50 pedagogical models. We visit 10 countries, and we also had some talks with our around 200 experts. This was like a benchmarking to see other references and how these models can work in other countries with another kind of people. Also, we have focus groups with students, teachers, families, kids to understand what they really need and why, what they aim to be and what was the purpose of being together and understand how we can close these gaps, but with the what they need, not just what we want to do. Mm -hmm. And uh, the third point that was very important for us, what, what science has to say about how brain learns. So neuroscience is one of our pillars in, at this school, how we can understand emotions, body, how we can understand the food, the sleep, and how this mix change the way we learn. So this mixture make us uh, create Cosmo schools. All right, so I want to go back slightly. First, Medellin, where is it in Colombia, the town? So it's up, I would say, up in, in the center of Colombia. I actually brought you like a little map. So this is Colombia, right? Yeah. And then this blue sign, that's what you will call Antioquia. That's a department. We are a centralized country organizing department, which will be kind of states. Okay. And then Colombia as a whole, we have a population around 50 million. And in Antioquia, we have about 1 million students up into high school. And of those, 86% are in public enrollment. And as I was telling you, the gap between private and public education is huge. Not only in the educational outcomes, but also in infrastructure, in teacher qualification, and it all traduces mm -hmm. in opportunities, you know, how that affect the future of our kids. Okay, so you're saying, 86% of people are in public school. Like, that's like an automatically bad thing is the way no, I'm hearing from you. No, 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 absolutely not. I, I want to zoom in in the problem is the issues that public system has today in terms of, of infrastructure, in terms of quality of teachers, in terms of the outcomes those students are having. Because, of course, and I would never, never, ever say that the, the, the problem per se It's the public system. It's how the public system is working today and how those gaps are affecting our kids. Got it. And instead of thinking that this is a bad uh, thing, uh, like uh, Juli says, we want to encourage our teachers, public teachers too, to train themselves to be the managers of the classroom, how they can understand the gaps in their classrooms and start to make a shift, how we can use another way to teach and another way to learn. And also we have a teacher's train and we not only use it for our school, we also use it with other schools and other public systems. So were you both part of Cosmo from the beginning? I was at the same uh, social enterprise that started Cosmo 
few okay. years ago, and I could like advise or help or try to give some ideas. Mm -hmm. And a few months later, I fell in love. So I'm now here one year ago. Yeah, I, I, I told you like uh, Cosmo School started before they started because yeah, yeah. they started with this huge investigation like six years ago and all these how we're going to do it. And I think Stefan, I came into the implementation process when I came. They were developing the pilot project, like a pilot school. We just had 19 students on uh, 2020. That was the first school, like the mm -hmm. pilot, I would say. Next year, that was last year, 2021, I, I came and we shifted from 19 to 345. And this year we shifted from 345 to almost 1,400. Wow. and 10 schools we have right now. And we are growing in that way because we have a big dream, which is we want that kids find their own purpose in life and we want to accompany them to find this purpose. And we need to change the educational system to make this possible. Mm -hmm. But more than this, we want to change education, public and private education. We want to be a movement that change the way we understand how we can learn together and change society. So what's the age range of these kids? We have six months to 12 years old. And also this year we have 14, 15, 16. We have a mix. We have preschool, elementary, and the high school, we have two years. Wow. The, the, the goal is to have by 2024 until like from K to 12, as you have it here, but it will be from K to 11. But we're going to have 23 schools. Oh, yeah. So uh, we, we are Cosmo schools. We're building a network of schools. So the big goal is by 2030 to have 23 schools with more than 20,000 students. And all in Medellin or? All in Antioquia, Antioquia. which will be like the huge department. But yeah, we are starting to think about a national school as well. But right now we're focusing <laughs> on this, on this project, yeah. yes. <laughs> so seven years ago, people started doing the research that would become Cosmo School. 2020, it opened. Meanwhile, while all this is happening, what are you two doing? In my case, uh, you're going to probably laugh, laugh about this. I'm a lawyer. Okay. And then I worked at Congress, the, the Colombian Congress, Senate, all that, in public policy. And then I went to London to study my master in education and international development. So it's mostly uh, all the strategic part, you know, budget, how we do it, how we implement. And then I came as the operational manager of the school. And then Steph, she's the academic leader of the school, pedagogical. This, yeah, I was working in Casa Tres Patios, which is a contemporary art center. Mm -hmm. And I, I was the pedagogical and general coordinator there. We had an, a beautiful project, one of my favorites. And we had the um, art network in all Medellin. So we had to go to every single neighborhood and work with kids marginal kids and trying to use art to solve their difficulties but their way to relationship i i love when i was doing that i just remember with you and also um, i was a teacher at the university i studied math so i was a statistical teacher for political science students because i wanted to try to understand how we can use data for social change and 
I did it with art. So I, I was a teacher that used math to teach statistics for political science. And at the same time, I was um, walking Medellin, all the comunas, comunas, all the neighborhoods, trying to use art with kids. So it was a mixture. And so when did you, when did you become aware that this big experiment in Medellin was happening? I, I was working in the art cent, contemporary art center, and we were a, fund, a fundación, how do you, a nonprofit. Mm -hmm. And in this nonprofit, we had resources from Confama because Confama is also a bridge, and it's also a platform for social and art and nonprofits in Medellin. So we had this relationship with the fundraising, and we ha we we could see the impact of their work in social and art and more than health and, and employees, we, we can see in, the, in this nonprofit how that was working and a few months after that, I <laughs> get into Confama and later to the Cosmos schools. I have to say it, it was a very famous project because, and, and, and it's important to sum this in, it's that social enterprise we've been talking about is Confama, which is a social enterprise, a nonprofit organization that was founded in 1954 by the unions. So it's always been about social equity and how through public policy we improve uh, people's lives. And it has more than 12 services, this social enterprise, in healthcare, in housing, and education was this such big, big project. And they had preschools for more than 24 years. And then after those 24 years, they started to say, okay, we need like to do this project with schools and you know transit education and it started to sound and sound Stefania was already working at Confama two years and I just arrived from my master program and I came to Medellin and I heard about the project and I just fall in love as well. So they're going out and seeing all these models of education If you were to summarize, like, what are what is at the core? What are the core design principles of? Is it Cosmo Schools? Is that the right way to put it? Yes. Yeah. What What is at the core of what makes Cosmo Schools Cosmo Schools? We love this question, because when we made the visits, we found that the body was something missing everywhere. Um, what happened with the body when we learned? What happened with the body when we feel? What, what happened with the body when we share with each other? So the body was a missing point in all of these trips, and this was the main point to start thinking about creativity and how art, science, movement can improve creativity and creativity as a way to solve problems, as a way to reimagine ways to think, And mainly we want to change our story to be Colombianos, yeah, to how we can transform this story, transform this relato. I'm not sure relato is the word that I want to use, but yeah, the way that the we... The storytelling. The storytelling about what make us Colombians. So this thing, the body, the creativity, the art, the movement, the science are one of the our main purposes, values, but who can tell another one? Yeah, I think we, we can summarize what Cosmo is in six points. And what Steph said would be one, the first one. But the second one, I think most important, it's we are not a personalized school. We're not aiming to be, but we do want through project-based learning and inspirational experiences to potentialize our students' 
potentials and opportunities it sounds weird but but that's the second one i think a third one and a very very important one it's um learning english but not as a way just to learn english for instance the class where we learn english is called worldview but as, as a way to connect with the world so that's one of our huge proposals and values it's that our students we're not a bilingual school but they will graduate with a very like a b2 level English, which is very, very good. And they learn English knowing different cultures and students, first graders, learn the 26 initial sounds of English, watching videos and cultural experiences. So I think that will be the third one. And this third one has also the digital thinking mm -hmm. that I think that now is a good point to understand how to relate with machines, with technology, and how to create algorithms. And also the fourth, we could say that is autonomous learning supporting by a digital platform that we are creating. It's a video game called Seleku. So our kids use a little, I don't know, two, three, four hours mm, among they are growing to play and trying to train themselves in math, in science, in religions, and this learning with digital thinking and a platform also make them view bigger. Also, they expand school or expanded classrooms. We think that city is, an, is a, a classroom, an expanded classroom. So we want to go out. We want to uh, know the city, the museums, the botanical garden, and use them in the PBL design projects that we have and relate the city, their context with the projects that we start. Also, with this, I want to come back some, uh, to something. These visits, we, we visit High Tech High, and this is why we are so happy to be here, because High Tech High was a referent in our way to uh, structure the school. And PBL was a main point, and disbanded school is one a way to um, relate it. At the, the last one is School for Mentors. We, our teachers' names is Mentors, so we have a school of mentors. Our mentors are very junior. They are just finished the graduate school, so that's why we want to train them in a way they can learn growth and also grow with the kids. And the School of Mentors is, some, is something that we also do for another um, schools or for another areas in Confama. So you have a, what we would call a teacher credentialing program. Yeah. Like people get, awesome. So what led you to, uh, to PBL? The need to start critical, the, the forces of the 21st century and that I think are pretty accurate in PBL, you know, like critical thinking, collaboration, creativity and communication. I think while you are doing this in an era where you are totally interconnected, when you have all the information, just one click, then repeating today, it's not enough. And one of the ways they found, and we believe absolutely, is that through PBL, you developed all those abilities and competences you need to be like a citizen of the 21st century. Let's say I'm a parent living in this city. How do I find out that the school exists? So two ways. Uh, as we said, we were part of this CONFAMA, very important, huge social enterprise that's been for more than 50 years in, in Antioquia and, and Medellin. And we have uh, more than 3 million people subscribed to CONFAMA. So they all know about schools and they get the deals. We, we give scholarships, so they ended paying a little bit. 
in comparison to what they paid in a full price. So that's a way they get to know. And then I think now we are a reference of innovation and education in Colombia, like the Ministry of Education was there two weeks ago learning how we're implementing this model. Yeah, and I just wanted to add that this, the most powerful thing is the voice to voice. Our families are telling other families uh, that this is happening. So I think that this is a oh, pretty yeah. way, a pretty nice way to know that we are yeah. around. Yeah, it's worth mentioning that 68% guys that's my department, <laughs> of families that came this year came as a reference of a family that was currently enrolled. So I think that's the most powerful message. It's that our ambassadors are people from our community. And so I'm always curious about this when you're figuring out what kind of school is set up. So it's a private school, is that correct? But with a lot of scholarships? Yes, it's a very, very interesting model, but quite hard to explain because I, I don't think in international law there is an equivalent. In Colombia, every worker, everyone, Stefania, me, everyone who works in Colombia will have to give 4% of their salary to a fund. And that fund is administrated by different social enterprises. Confama is one of them. So with these sources, we give scholarships and different uh, services to other people. So it's basically an income tax that goes to social enterprises. Yes. So how long has that existed, that 4% workers payment to So it started as I, in like around 54, in 1954, but it was not the 4%. Like it came increasing through the years. I I, I believe it started like with 1%. Okay, so if something like Confama is being funded buy effectively an income tax why aren't they government if you see what i mean (laughs) it's 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 up but we are a private uh organization that has i wouldn't i it's technically not public funds but it's administrated by social enterprises to be like i would say more effective yeah right okay but it is like, but it's still like, yeah, if yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. As I told you, it's a really weird legal That's figure. That's so interesting. It's it's very like when you try to explain even to people in Latin America, there's no equivalent figure. It's 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 weird. Yeah, yeah. we know. So you have this kind of like social equity goal. How's that going as far as your enrollment? Are you getting kids from every social strata? Yeah, about 78% of our, our enrollment are people that most need the help to be in these schools and that they know and they value a lot having the opportunity to have this education mm-hmm. right now. And I want to go back to what Steph said, that we more than a school and just a place that you go and you send your kids, we are a movement trying to change and transform education in Colombia. And so kids will come and they will transform with this PBL and all this uh, that we're doing. But also we have a school for families when we're speaking about the importance of neuroscience and uh, sleeping and eating consciously. So all this mixture and having these conversations we're doing like also with universities and experts about education and why do we need to change we want to transform, not, not just a school, if you know what I mean, not just this and you send your kids, but all what's going around this movement. Yeah. What's something that's different 
that, that I might be surprised by going to the school that was informed by, by neuroscience? We made many decisions based on neuroscience. One of these ones was the infrastructure, infrastructure, the way how you gonna find the places. We don't have a saturation of colors or anything designed by us because we think, maybe like you, that each place has to have the spirit of the groups. So they can change the walls, mm -hmm. but we have everything very simple with natural wood, with simple colors, to trying to make the brain open to learn with less s stimulus. The other thing that we may, we change or we decide based on neuroscience was the food that we eat and that we provide to kids, the rhythm of this food and the structure of the food since they, um, they are babies, because we have babies <laughs> six months. Wow. Since six months. So we help families to understand the um, power of food while they're growing in their lives, but also in the family lives and how to change habits or this thing about the wellness. Other thing very important for us was we had like a 10% of neurodiversity at school. So our kids with neurodiversity have a, can be together with our other kids and we change our way to evaluate them in a Diseño Universal del Aprendizaje, Universal Learning Design. design. We start to change and to organize this. And I think that more than surprising is that we don't find this in other schools. And we put it in our schools and trying to understand this in this way. And another thing that I wanna like highlight is the use of the emotions and the mindfulness connections to start the day. So we want to have like an energy rhythm, start with very deep breath, understand that we arrive, try to connect with each other. We start ev in every single school, in every single classroom with a connection moment um, to feel the moment, feel the other ones. After that, we have like a moment of high emotion, like a peak of wonder, we are very excited about what's going to happen in science, math, in whatever language, and we come back. So we try to have these rhythms to handle, manage the energy, and I think that this helps us to learn better. How do teachers plan for that? Yeah, we have a huge structure in planning, and because we're very new, we allow us to experiment in the way we can plan. We have some very organized and we believe in some things very clear, but we want to try like a lab, what happens if we change this or this? So we use habilidades del pensamiento, how can I say this in English? Thinking abilities. So we plan to achieve this, more than to say that this is a circle and this is an, a triangle, more than this, how can we promote these uh, thinking abilities. So when we plan, we know where we're going and we have like three methodological steps. Cultivate, activate, and we close with reflect, uh, and share. reflect and share. And the other way to plan is because we want to accompany our kids to find and go through their own paths 
we need to listen to them, what they need and how they are learning so we can change. So it's a, we have a plan, but we also change the plan while we are with the kids. But mainly we experiment and we leave the structure. I have one final question for you. I would love you to tell me about what I describe as a golden moment, like a moment that you go, oh, that was really special. When I think about <laughs> what is really important to me about this work and this school, that moment comes to mind. Oh my God, I have it. So last year we were doing this, I would like the equivalent of an open day when you have families coming here. And I was giving, you know, this speech like, if I have to summarize all what we've learned and I will give these six premises of what we're doing with your kids and all that stuff. And then I'm done, families are gone. And then comes to me a mom who's crying. And she tells me, thank you and your boss and your organization because my kid is neurodiverse and you accept him here. And I've been asking all around the city about special education for him and I, I can't pay it. And I want him to have opportunities and thank you because this is the place for him. And she was crying, I was crying. And that week was just crazy, lots of work. And I said, this is what, why we do what, why we, what we do. So that moment, like, yeah, that was my tipping point. Has that kid started yet? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw him. He is at Perpetuo Socorro, one of our school. Yeah. Yeah. How's he doing? Good. Yeah. That's awesome. A golden moment. As I said before, I think I was born to be in education or to be a teacher. So I love to be teacher of teachers. This is what I most enjoy and it's what I most dedicate my time. So my golden moment was when, in this January, we had one month of training, deep month, because we were gonna open 10 schools. So we, we had 30 teachers last year, and this year is 150 teachers. So I had to reorganize all the wow. teachers' school and trying to do it at the same time. One group with um, art, one group with PBL, one group with neuroscience at the same time and make them be excited about it. So when I listened to two colleagues talking, one was the last year and a new one, and the, and the, old, the old one, I don't know if I can say the old one. The older one. The, the, no, but no, was the older one. The teacher that was with us last year were explained to them, to the older ones, uh, how they can do it better, do it better, or uh, how to organize the, the group, or how to cultivate the attention of the kids. And he gave them like hints, like ideas that we were working with them last year. Like every single month, mm -hmm. I was super happy. I was incredible, like thankful. I did my job. I did my job. They are, they are sharing each other. And we want to have a teacher's network. Not only the community of families are so important, and the community of teachers are really, really important to be able to exchange projects, ideas, metaphors. So for me, this was a huge moment this January. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, both of you. Thank you. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much. We are super happy to be here. Uh, well, we're thrilled to have you.
Hitekai Unboxed is hosted and edited by me, Alec Patton. Our theme music is by Brother Herschel. Thanks for listening.